Good stuff. All right. If you guys would go to your Bibles, um, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you, get to Genesis first. Genesis is really easy. You look at the table of contents and you flip over. So <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you've gone too far. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, for the first thing, and then we're actually going to go a little bit deeper in the Old Testament to a book called Job. It's spelled like job, but it's not job. If you say job, you were wrong, okay? Um, if you say job, you should get one. Oh, anyway. So, uh, before, before we get into uh, the verse, before we get into actually where we're going to be at tonight, uh, got a question for you. It's the most awkward thing, one of the most awkward things that you can do in society and I, we've all done it. I'm pretty sure we've all done it. And that is this. Who has seen a person from a distance, and you're like, I know them. And you go up to them, or you say hi to them, or God forbid you wave at them. <laughs> right? You wave at them, and you're like, hey! And then you look, and you're like, wait a minute. That is not the person I thought it was. Just a couple days ago, actually, I literally was at, uh, we were somewhere, we were at a conference or doing something, and I look at Macy and I go, oh my, that is one of our friends. She's like, really? I, okay. I'm like, I'm going to go. And I'm not joking. I got this close to him. And I was like, he literally did that, <laughs> looked at me just like that, and I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know you. And I backed off, like I ran away. It is the most awkward thing that you can do. Who's waved at somebody who's waving at somebody behind them, yeah. right? Yeah. Not fun at all, okay? Now, take that and how awkward we feel. I want to tell you about my father, okay? If you've ever met my dad, he is not a shy man. He will talk to anybody about anything all of the time, okay? My dad is so funny. He will look at somebody, like a waiter or a server or somebody, uh, you know, just anywhere really, He'll go, hey, I'm not joking. I, I lived seven hours away from Kentucky in Springfield, Missouri. And my dad would be at the mall in Springfield and see somebody that he, like, thought he went to school with. And he would go up to them. And he'd go, hey, hey, you look, fam you look familiar. And he'd go and he'd go, hey, are you uh, such and such? And they said, no, I've never heard of them before in my life. And he'll go, well, um, well uh, are you his cousin? You his nephew? Do you know? Is he in your family tree somewhere? And they'll go, no, I've, I've never heard that name. And he'll go, well, you look like him anyway. And it's like, yeah, good, good job, Dad. They really don't care. <laughs> and he'll just do it, and he'll do it with no shame. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, dude, I thought it was him. What could I I'm like, we are seven hours. We're in Springfield, Missouri. And we live in Owensboro, Kentucky. They are not here, okay? It was insane. But I love him, and he's so fun. Seriously, he will do that, like, no joke. If you go out to dinner with him and he sees somebody that he thinks is, like, a friend of his, he'll ask. It's, it's hilarious. I think that sometimes, though, we do this a lot of times. We, we have a blurry vision when we find people, right? We look, at, we look at people from a distance, and we go, oh, I know you. Yeah, 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 I'm going to say hi. I'm going to wave. I'm going to do all that. But then we actually get closer, and the closer we get, it's not what we thought at the beginning. I think that it distorts what we see. We start mistaking people for other people. I think that sometimes we do the same thing with God, where 
we look at him from a distance, and you see this a lot of people uh, who, who feel like God is out to get them or he hates them or whatever. A lot of people aren't even close enough to God to really understand who he is. And so they look at him from a distance, and they say, oh, you're this, and you're this, and you're this, and you're this. But they actually don't have a close enough relationship to be able to see who he actually is. So tonight we're really going to talk about our view of God, and we're going to look at two sets of scriptures, two stories, where there was a distorted view of God, and there was a true view of God. Because if you, inter- if you have a distorted lens of who God is, you're going to interact with him in the wrong ways, right? If you don't uh, feel like he is who he says he is, or he's out to get you, or he hates you, or, you know, why did God allow this to happen? Then you'll start to notice that you, you blame him for things that are not his fault, right? You, you look at him as some, some sort of withholder or something, when he's really not. He's the great giver. It affects your relationship. So let's go ahead in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be reading uh, this chapter. A lot of people have dubbed it the fall, okay? So if you're a uh, good uh, Christian, you've been to your kid's church your entire life, all that good stuff, you would know, right? Genesis chapter 3 is the fall uh, of, of humanity. It's when we first started sinning. It's hilarious because when you open up the Bible, most of the time you're going to skip past it. That's how long we needed a Savior, right? It's crazy. Um, and so Genesis is the beginning, right? It's literally the name Genesis. And what we're going to read is Adam and Eve and how they interacted with God right after they ate the forbidden fruit that they shouldn't have eaten. So let's go ahead and read. It says this in chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man... Where are you? Everybody say, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, right? So I hid. Listen, if I'm naked and somebody can see me, I'm running and I'm hiding, okay? That makes sense. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the Lord, oh, this this is actually my favorite. Uh, This is what he says. The man says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. I love that because every man has has been there in every marriage and every relationship and everything. Hey, hey, it's not my fault. She told me to do it. Okay. It's her fault. It won't get you anywhere, fellas. Let me tell you from experience. It won't get you anywhere. But I do love that. Anybody who says the Bible isn't funny, read it. It's hilarious. Okay. The fact that Adam thought he could tell God, hey, yeah, she did it. It wasn't my fault. Whatever. She gave me some, fr- uh, some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And this is even funnier. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent has deceived me and I ate. So picture man, woman, serpent. And he's going, no, it's her fault. And she goes, no, it's his fault. And the serpent's like, you know what, I got nothing. Take off my legs. You know snakes used to walk? Yeah, that's why, this is actually why they start to slither around. It's, it's crazy. Read Genesis. It's, it's awesome. But anyway, it's insane. So with that being said, let's, let's pray real quick before we get too far. 
into this. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that we can find the humor in it. I thank you that we can find the joy in it. I thank you that we can read uh, about it and just be able to, to see how you have breathed every word of this, how you have, have crafted it together um, for our benefit, for us to be able to learn from, to be able to, to teach others from, Lord, and to be able to apply these, these principles, these concepts, these different things that we read, that we're able to apply it in our life so that we can grow closer to you or to be able to just um, allow you to, to fix our hearts and, and, and help us in, in these ways to have a, a more true view of who you are. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name that we say amen. So check this out. So you read in Genesis, right, that all this stuff happens. You start seeing the blame game come around, right? I think it's very interesting that when you have a distorted view of God, you start to live in shame by your sin. I want to say that again. When you have a distorted view of God, we live in shame by our sin. This was how Adam and Eve were walking in this interaction, right? They were ashamed of what it was. They couldn't even own up to it. Adam looked at Eve and said it was her fault. And Eve looked at the serpent and said it was his fault. When in reality, it was all of their faults. You see... There's nothing scarier than doing something that you're not supposed to, and then you get found out, right? And that's exactly what happened here. You see, God, I picture like parents and their kids, because right, God's the father. It's, it's an easy illustration. When God was asking them, he's like, where are you? You know, God literally walked with Adam and Eve. I think that that's such a crazy thing <laughs> that God would actually do that. But God was actually walking with Adam and Eve, and he's walking around looking for them, and he says, where are you, right? Now, we know God knows everything, right? Just like your parents. Let me tell you a little bit of, uh, I'm, I might be giving this away, parents. When they ask you to answer a question, most of the time, they already know the answer. And it's the same way with God here. When he's asking Adam and Eve, where are they? He knew exactly what they did. He knew exactly where they were. And he knew exactly what they were going to say and how they were going to try to excuse themselves. He did the same thing later on when Cain killed his brother Abel. God, like I said, it's just so funny that we think that we can outsmart God somehow. Because God literally asked Cain, he said, where is your brother after he had killed him? And Cain was like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm not his keeper. I don't know. He might be out some. You killed the fool. Come on. Like, God's like, don't play me, right? I think in typical human reaction, right, it's our typical nature. Who has a sibling, right? Who uses that sibling to get out of trouble? Oh, every hand better be up. Come on. Listen. I've blamed my brother for stuff he hasn't done ever. Let's be real. Like, and that's exactly what our human nature wants to do, right? Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent, right? There's just this pattern of, like, I'm just going to blame them. What's so interesting, though, check this out. Do you guys remember what Eve was, was created for? She was going to be the what to Adam? A companion. Uh, scripture also says helper, right? She was going to be the helper to Adam. And here Adam is blaming his helper for the thing that he should have owned up for. He looks at 
at the thing that God created for his benefit as the source of his trouble. So God's bringing accountability, right? He's trying to get them to do the right thing, just like your parents, trying to get you to say the right thing. Hey, please just admit to this. I already know. I'm just asking you. Please admit. But Adam only points to Eve, and Eve only points to the serpent. Instead of gaining knowledge and power in what they thought, all that they did was made, they were made aware of their own inadequacies. They were made aware of, of the fact that, that they, were, they were sinful or they were made aware of the fact that they were naked in this instance, right? And they were like, oh, got to change that. And, and it became something to where they, they, they didn't have all knowledge like was what was promised, but they had all of the, the awareness around the situation. Enough especially to say, hey, man, I, I need to change my, my situation. It, it, be, it opened them up to inadequacy, fear, and shame. Because they went into business for themselves. They did their own thing. All they did, they didn't get knowledge. They didn't get power. They didn't get any of that. They got shame, inadequacy, and fear. And that was not God's intention. God really wanted them to stay in the garden. That was what was going to be, like, people weren't meant to die even before then, which is a crazy concept to think about, right? That was not in God's original intention for humanity. But yet, sin robbed them of feeling close to God. And I feel like it does the same thing for us in our life. When we have a distorted view of God, when we don't really know him, we start to live out of our shame and our inadequacy and our fears, and, and we start to live and think that God is out to get them. We start to think like, oh man, I, I'm really messed up, which guess what? We all are. But you start to live in a, in a, in a uh, not like you're not living in reality. You're dictated by all of these feelings. And that wasn't how God created us to, to live. They were supposed to be, uh, our emotions were supposed to, to be the gauges of, our, of our, where, where our heart was at, not be dictators of, of where it goes. And yet, they distorted their view of God and it robbed them of their relationship. I think like Adam and Eve, we sometimes trick ourselves into thinking that, oh man, I actually don't need to get close to God because I can clean myself up enough that he might, he, he might not notice. Or, or we, we get to a spot, who's ever done something so bad that you're like, dude, my parents will never forgive me for this. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, okay, it might be a little bit more of a talking to, it might be a grounding, it might be something else, but eventually there's grace for you. Eventually there's going to be a, a breaking point where they come and they, they, they show you that they love you and they care about you. But if you only use that to continue to distance yourself, right? This is why so many people, they think that like there's no redemption for them. And so they're just like, well, I guess I'll throw my hands up and just run completely in this way. And then they just end up running away. And that's not God's intention. We trick ourselves in, into thinking that we can hide in a bush, or we can cover ourselves up, that we can start to, to look a certain way. It's not, it's not how it is. I love, uh, I love movies and TV shows, right? You guys, you guys like movies and TVs? TV shows, TV shows? I know, I know, the screens, whatever. 
Okay, I get it. Focus. We don't need the screens right now anyway. So, uh, do you guys, there's always in shows and movies, there's always that person that's like the crazy mad scientist, right? Or the person who is so fueled by their work that they start to like forget who they are or what, you know what, I, you know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. What about, what about people who are uh, driven by conspiracy theories? Hey, let's go there. Uh, and I'm not even talking about crazy ones. I'm talking about like, like, like wild ones. I had a science teacher, social studies teacher. He actually taught me college social studies, and he didn't believe we landed on the moon. Okay, um, like wholeheartedly had the proof, and was like a wholehearted believer of it. Right now, I'm not here to talk about conspiracy theories, but these people, regardless of how they feel about them, they are passionate about them. Right, so passionate, in fact, that they will like. They will put blinders on in what they think and how they see situations. They start to put blinders on to the things around them that could actually prove them wrong, and they start to just get dialed into it. And I think that sometimes we do the same thing. Again, I'm not going after. If you have a conspiracy theory that you think is right, write me an essay on it, and we can figure it out. But <laughs> you're like, I'm not doing that. Good. Um, but I think that they live, they live in such like focus, and they live sometimes even in paranoia, right? To the to the point that they can't even function. It's not even close to the truth, right? There's a whole group of people that believe birds aren't real. <laughs> Read about it. It's true. They think that there's like all surveillance, and there's no such thing as a bird. I'm not joking. We live. Listen, listen, why do I say that, right? Why do I say that? I say it because I think sometimes we do that same thing. We live in paranoia. We live focused on the things that, that are not who we are, right? We live focused on our sin and our shame and our, and our fears and our inadequacies, and we start to, to be dictated by that, and then we start to get paranoid, and then we start to get fearful of what other people think about us or what God thinks about us, and then pretty soon we don't even know who God is anymore because we've so fabricated an idea of him in our mind that we've scared ourselves out of relationship with him. God becomes so scary in our brain that we don't even want to do it, right? Have you ever psyched yourself out before you go to a roller coaster? You're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. You haven't even rode the thing yet. Just get on. Buckle up. And if it doesn't click, find somebody, you know? That's happened before. I need help, right? Um, anyway, I don't know why I said that. Let's go. Uh, let's jump real quick. Here's your sword drill of the night. I need you to find Job, chapter forty-two. If you don't know what a, if you don't know what a sword, if uh, if you don't know what a, yeah, everybody's like I found him. Um, if you don't know what a sword drill is, it's where you look up Bible scriptures and you have to flip to them, and you can't use the table of contents unless you do. I um, mean, if you have a phone, it's really easy. Anyway, anyway, anyway. If you don't have it by now, it's on. It's going to be on the screens. Screens are back. Cool. Good. Thank you, Pastor Jesse. And Macy and all of them. Anyway, it's all good. All good. Chill out. Okay. This is what it says. But before I read it, actually, I need to tell you the context of, of what's going on here. Focus, 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 focus. Okay. 
You see, Job was a man who was tested by God and actually allowed, uh, Satan was allowed to mess with him, right? The, 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 the devil was allowed to mess with him. David, or David, Job lost everything. Job lost his, his uh, family. He lost his, his livestock. He lost his money. He lost his inheritance. He lost everything. Everything. He lost his health. He wasn't even a healthy guy. And he began to blame God, and his friends began to blame God. And, and, and finally, he gets to a point at the end of Scripture because he's looking at God, and he's going, where are you, and what are you doing? And finally, God answers him and says, hey, who are you to tell me what I'm doing? It's amazing. Go, go back and read it. We're not reading this, that section, but he goes off on him. He's like, I'm sorry, Job. Where were you when I hung the stars? I'm sorry, Job. Where were you when I created everything? Like, you don't know anything, okay? It's amazing. But in Job chapter 42, it's one of the last verses. It actually is the, the last part of, of Scripture. It says this. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. I think you have to understand what Job went through to, to really appreciate a scripture like that. Because it's completely different than how Adam and Eve reacted to God when they were caught in their sin and their shame. You see, Job lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his children, right? So much for a prosperity gospel in his life, huh? He lost his possessions. He began to question God's goodness. But by the end of the book... When God puts him in his place, he finally comes to his senses. He finally humbles himself, and he finally submitted to God and said, you know what, you're God, I'm not. You'll have this thing figured out, and I trust you. Job admitted right here in this scripture that, that his ways, God's ways were beyond his understanding. He even says, I spoke out of my ignorance. I spoke out of what I didn't know, and I wish that I could take those words back. I wish that I didn't say those things. He goes on to say that he despises the way he talked about the Lord. You see, the encounter that Job had with God, hearing his voice, seeing him up close, feeling his presence, changed how he saw God. He saw him as this thing, uh, as, this, as this person who was out to get him. And why are you taking everything from me? And why are you doing this to me? I didn't do anything to deserve this. But then as he began to get closer to God, he began to be reminded of God's forgiveness and his goodness and his, his unconditional love. The fact that he loved Job. He cared about Job. I think like Job, we face things that, that call us into question of what God is doing. How many people have ever been there where you're looking and you're going, okay, God, I think I trust you, but like you got to look at this thing. Like This is massive. I can't do anything. We look at circumstances and situations in our life and we look and we go, oh, man, I don't know what you're doing. But I think we have to keep our view of God in the right perspective because this is why. When we have a true view of who God is, if you're writing notes, 
take it down. When you have a view, a true view of who God is, you start to live free from your feelings. You start to live free from your emotions. You see, despite all of the circumstances and all uh, of the emotions that Job might have been feeling, right, all of the things that, that he might have been going through, God never changed. He was always there. And guess what? He always cared for Job. Never once did he go, you know what, you can do this to him because I, like, hate him. And he actually, like, he didn't do this sacrifice this one time. And, like, I'm out to get him a little bit. And so, yeah, just mess him up a little bit. God's not some mobster trying to shake you down for your money, okay? I think that when we truly know and trust in the Lord, we begin to find freedom. And if we stay faithful and if we stay close to God, he will always reveal himself to us. You see, it was Job's faithfulness that allowed God to bless him and give everything back. When we're close to God, when we're close to him, we can begin to, to know that even if it doesn't feel like it, God is good all of the time and he's never left us. When we're close to him, our view begins to sharpen and we begin to understand who he is. I think we've talked about it a lot. There's, there's a lot of people who, uh, even recently, like I think in, in the uh, student-led night even, shared about this guy who, he was a writer uh, in his free time. He was a successful lawyer. He was a real estate investor in Chicago. Before this even happened, before even what I'm going to tell you happened, he already lost a four-year-old son from scarlet fever, and he lost his entire fortune in the great Chicago fire. It was like this huge thing that happened, destroyed a ton of homes, destroyed, killed a lot, a lot of people as well. He lost his four-year-old son, and he lost all of his estate. It sent him and his family into a state of grief so bad that he was like, you know what, we need to even just get out of the city. We don't need to be here right now. And so he decided that he was going to take him and his wife and his four daughters to England. And they were going to sail and just take a little bit of a vacation. And he was going to join them later. He had some stuff that he had to finish up. He was working. He had some things that he needed to finish, so he said, you know what, you just take the kids and go ahead and go on, and I'll meet you there. The ship that they were on was involved in a collision, and it sank completely in 12 minutes. All four of the daughters died with the 200 others. His wife reached Wales, and she sent a telegram that began, saved alone, what should I do? After receiving the news, he set sail for England himself to join his wife. And during the travels, the captain knew his situation, knew that he lost his daughters just a few weeks earlier. And he brought him to the place where his daughters had sank, where the ship had sank. And he said, this is the exact location where this collision happened. But this guy 
believed in Jesus and held true to him. Even in the worst circumstances, he was on a vacation to escape already losing a four-year-old. And then he loses all four of his kids. He was comforted by the hope that he had in Jesus. And at that time, instead of blaming God, instead of being angry with him, instead of looking at him and saying, you know what? I'm done with this. I just lost a four-year-old. I just lost all of my estate. I just lost all of my children. My wife is stranded in England by herself. I'm done with this. He could have walked away from God, but instead he ran back to his room and he wrote the hymn, It Is Well. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. No matter my lot, meaning no matter my circumstance, no matter what I'm going through, it's well with my soul. Everything is good because I know he is good. That is what he wrote down in that moment. That's where he began to pin those words. When you're close to the Lord like he was, you don't look at him and blame him for everything that happened. You don't live by your emotions. If there's a time to live by your emotions, I'm not a parent yet, but I can imagine what that would be like. That If there's one excuse to say, hey, you can do, be whatever you need to be right now, it's that. And he chose, no, I'm not doing it. I'm living free of that, and I'm going to trust in who God was. The shame and the guilt that Adam and Eve felt as a result of their sin prompted a, a, a plan to go into motion to bring back humanity for what we were created for. God promised a way of salvation in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus was talked about in Genesis chapter 3. It's amazing. And it's the, he's the only way. The only way is knowing and trusting and believing in him so that we can have a more clear sense of who God the Father is in our life. Our view of God doesn't change because of our emotions or situations. Listen, from the very beginning, he's been the same. Humanity is fallen. The world is fallen. People are messed up. This world is messed up. And guess what? It ain't going to get any better. I'm sorry. So where Adam and Eve hid and they covered themselves, they blamed each other and they blamed God for what had happened. They were confronted with their disobedience and that's what they chose to do. Job found himself in a very similar position but what he came to learn was to know and to trust God despite all of the things that had happened. I think that we have built a shaky faith for far too long. We've built foundations that, that are like completely caved in already. So all it takes is like a little feather to fall. We're like, I'll just give up. And guys, I'm guilty of it too. I've had conversations with my wife. Where at the littlest thing, I'm not joking, I'll drop something. And I'll be like, you know what, I just shouldn't even be a pastor. I shouldn't even do it. Take a wrong turn. I just shouldn't even be, I should not be driving right now. Take my license. Right? And what Macy has helped me do and what, what I'm even walking this thing out and doing is, man, I, I can't be dictated by that. 
Macy tells me all the time, Josh, you made a mistake. Like, get over it and move on. Let's do this thing. We can't live dictated by our emotions. God is bigger than that. He doesn't change because we don't feel him or we don't understand what he's doing. As a matter of fact, God welcomes us with open arms and says, ask your questions. Be mad at me. I think just imagery wise, and this isn't supported by scripture, so don't come at me and be like, you just said something that wasn't even, I don't say that, okay? But I think that God, like a true father, even would say, you know what? I'm going to hold this pillow right to my chest, and if you need to punch me, you can punch me out. We've been so angry with God sometimes, and God's like, be angry. I, I, I don't, like, that doesn't phase me. Just as long as you're honest and as long as you're open and as long as you come to me, I don't care. Just come. He's faithful to answer and to speak and to heal us and to, to be with us. So we're forced and we're faced with the same situations all of the time that Adam and Eve were in and that Job was in and that so many other uh, amazing heroes of the faith have found themselves in and we're faced with the choice. What are you going to do? Are you going to throw your blinders on and you're going to live distorted and you're going to look at every situation and blame God for it? Are you going to trust him and believe him that even despite the circumstances that you're going through, how hard it is, how difficult it might be? And I'm going to trust in him. Are you going to run and hide like Adam and Eve did? Or are you going to trust in him no matter what you're walking through? These are the things that we have to wrestle with in our own lives. And we have to fight for it all of the time. We say, no, I'm not dictated by my emotions, not dictated by my feelings. One situation does not define who I am. And the only way that we can live like that is if we know who God is. Because if you don't know or you have a distorted view of God, the only thing you're going to see is that he's out to get you that he hates you, that he's standing there and judging every single thing that you've done, and that is not what he has for you. That's not how he feels about you. He created you. Fashioned every aspect about who you are. I think we have to realize that, but we can't do it unless we know who God is. So tonight, with every head bowed, Every eye closed, worship team, you guys can go ahead and, and come on up. Tonight, if, if you would just be honest with yourself, if you would just be open and honest and just look at your situation and say, you know what, I'm dealing with a lot right now. I'm dealing with a lot. And to be honest, I'm, I'm blaming God for some of it. Or I'm looking at him and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm angry or I'm broken or I'm mad or what what whatever. If you're in a spot where you just say I, I I need clarity, not for my situation, but just clarity and even knowing who God is. Tonight, if you would just be open and honest to say, God, what is it in my life that I'm being dictated by? What, what, what is it that, that I'm allowing 
a distorted view to, to come through? What, what is it that, that's happening in my life that, that I'm not looking at you truly? And how is it messing with, with how I'm perceiving this? Tonight, maybe you would even look, maybe, maybe you've not allowed God to even get as close as like an arm's length. He's always had an a, a arm out. No, I don't want it. No, I don't, I don't want to hear from you. I, I've seen what you've done to other people. I've seen how, how wrong they are. I've seen how messed up they are. I don't want anything to do with it. Let me tell you that if you would just begin to, to, to drop that guard that you have, God would, would just begin to speak to you, man, to reveal things to you, to let you know that he loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross after living a sinless life. He did nothing to deserve it. Nothing. And he died on a cross as a payment for our sins. And he would have done it if nobody else existed than you. That's pretty amazing. So tonight, just be thinking about that as I pray um, this prayer. Sometimes it's good to write out your prayers. This is what I did tonight with this message. Sometimes it's good to literally write out, Lord, help me do this. Be here, here. Help me to do, you know, like it's good to write it out. And so I want to pray this and then I want to close in just a, a, another prayer and, and then we'll, we'll have a time of response. I want you to just be thinking about this and agreeing in prayer as I read this. It says this, Lord, Lord, would you help me to keep a clear view of who you are? To keep a clear view of who you are so that I may point other people to you. Lord, I pray that we would seek to know more of you. Lord, I seek to, to know more of you. I seek to, to live free from my feelings. To live free from the shame that, that, that our sin can bring. Lord, I pray that you would use me. I pray that you would use us. I pray that you would use our stories to live lives of freedom. And bring others who are searching for it to find you. Because we know that you are the ultimate source of freedom in our life. Lord, I just ask that right now, Lord, whatever it is. Lord, whatever it is that, that each student might be dealing with, whether it's, whether it's just they've never gotten a, a given you a chance to introduce yourself to them, whether it's they, they, they've kept you at a distance, Lord, or, or maybe it's because of a certain circumstance or situation that they found themselves in and it's gone on for far too long and they're starting to put blame on you and starting to, to look at you and why would you do this and what are you doing and they start to question you or be angry with you. Lord, I just begin uh, right now, Lord, would you just begin to reintroduce yourself to your people. Reintroduce yourself to each and every one of us, Lord, with whatever situation it is, Lord, whether we're, we're angry with you because you're not in the middle of it with us, which we, we know you are. We don't feel like it, Lord, or if we've never given you that opportunity to be close with us. Lord, because we've been running, because we've been chasing, because we've been looking around at all of the wrong things. Lord, would you, would you allow us to look at our situations, look at our circumstances and respond like Job did instead of what Adam and Eve did. Let us respond in amazement and in awe of you and, and who you are. 
Let us be repentant. Let us, let us be uh, uh, able to, to receive correction from you, to allow you to change us from the inside out. Let us not hide, let us not run, let us not live in shame like Adam and Eve chose to do. Let us not put blame on other people and let us not put blame on you. We want a true view of who you are. We want the real thing. I thank you for your word tonight. Thank you. You've allowed me this amazing privilege to be able to speak your word. And I pray that it would just begin to set in our hearts as we respond tonight. Lord, that you would be glorified in everything that we do. Lord, and for, for those that don't know you, I pray for boldness and courage to find friends and find leaders and find people they can come around and say, you know what? I'm ready to do this thing. Because we're family here. That's what we believe. That's what we hold on to. Lord, that's the only way that you've really commanded us to do it. Be tight-knit. Lord, I pray that you would just open hearts right now in this time of response. In Jesus' name. Everybody said.